Good morning. We are in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, continuing our study through verses 9 through 21. So please open your copy of God's Word to that section. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to grab one of the blue ones located underneath a seat around you. Turn to page 948. 948, that'll bring you to that particular section of God's Word. By the way, if you could pull out a pen, if you don't already have one out, I'd like you to write down a date to save the date. The date is August 30th, August 30th. It's the last Sunday in August. It's going to be a historical date for, at least we hope it will be, we're planning on this anyway, for Summit Bible Church because if you don't know, Summit Bible Church still operates under the umbrella of Foothill Bible Church. We are not yet independent We are planning to be independent September 1 of this year. So on August 30th, we're going to have a business meeting. We're uh, probably going to have some type of potluck or something. So it's an evening service. It'll be in the evening time. So I hope, I'm hoping that all of you, I know some of you might have vacation or something already planned, but all of those that can be here, please, I hope you'll you'll come. Uh, The formal members of the church will be voting to affirm me, (laughs) Um, our budget, our leadership, our new constitution, or the constitution of SBC. The elders from Foothill Bible Church will be here. It's going to be a special service, and uh, uh, one in, that goes down in the history books of Summit. Yeah, it'll be here. We'll be doing it here. So uh, save that date, beloved, and be praying for it. Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah, it's a long time coming. You know, that'll be our just about five years for us. September 19th is when we started in 2010. When we, our first service, official formal service to the public was here. So, we are continuing uh, to look at a long list of exhortations or commands in Romans chapter 9, I'm sorry, 12, verses 9 through 21, that reveal God's expectations for how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians. It is what I have been calling a Christian code of conduct, Christian code of conduct, Last week, we covered three more of those commands or rules in this list, and this week, believe it or not, we are going to look at another five, another five. But before I know, I know it's hard to believe, and you probably are saying he's not telling the truth. I am sincere, but we'll see what happens, five. Uh, but before we do that, let's do like we have been doing. Let's read the entire text together, all right? Again, best part of the sermon right here as we read God's word. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our text. We've been working through it several weeks now. Last week we finished with verse 11, so we're just going to pick up right where we left off, verse 12. Verse 12, so That first statement there, just let your eyes glance back down. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul's exhortation, Paul's command, the rule that we're we're looking at concerning this Christian code of conduct is this, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Now, this is not some other way of saying, don't worry, be happy. It's not that, you know, it's not that. As I've mentioned before, when we looked at the word hope, that word, and we looked at it in Romans 5. I said there, and I'll say it again, that the Greek word Paul uses for hope is best defined as a looking forward to in confident expectation. 
a looking forward to in confident expectation. So this hope Paul refers to in verse 12 is not an uncertain expectation or wishful thinking. Like when someone says, I hope I get that for Christmas. Or I hope the weather is good this weekend. It is not that kind of hope. And we often use the word that way. So I wanted to point that out again. But rather this hope is about something that you look forward to and with certainty anticipate. You with me? Okay. Now what is that something for the Christian? Or what is the hope of the Christian. Well, beloved, we've looked at it. We've talked about it. We sing about it on a regular basis. We, we read it again and again in the scriptures. It is the glorious future. That is the Christian's hope. The glorious future that is promised to every believer in the sure word of God. It is the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It is a certain a magnificent future that awaits all of us who have been saved by grace through faith in the crucified and resurrected Son of God who secured this future for us. It is the Christian's ultimate and glorious destiny, beloved. That's what this hope is. It is the consummation of our salvation the fulfillment of our redemption. It is the Christian's blessed hope. That's the hope, beloved. That's the hope. The Apostle Peter speaks of this hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and there we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He gave us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you. Beloved, the you there is every single one of you who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's you. That's you who by God's power are protected through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Peter says, this brings you great joy. Although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. And his readers were suffering for their faith. As we face the trials and tribulations of this life, beloved, it is this Hope, the one I just talked about, it is this hope that will sustain and strengthen the servant of Christ. Paul's exhortation to us as Christians is to rejoice or be glad or be delighted in this hope, in this hope. As one Bible commentator said concerning this hope, it is to us the source of abiding joy of abiding joy, this blessed hope. Beloved, let me affirm what you already know, okay? At least I'm sure most of you already know if you've lived long enough, and Paul certainly knew as well. This life can be incredibly hard. Huh? Yeah. Incredibly hard, difficult, and challenging. It, it can tempt you to despair, or to depression. This life, this life, if you let it, can really zap the life right out of you. Hmm? And consequently, when that happens, disrupt or to one degree or another, diminish your ability to serve the Lord well. So, beloved, do not forget Paul's exhortation. Rejoice in hope. Delight in the awesome and amazing future that God has prepared for you, for us, and promised to us. 
Be glad in the certain glory that awaits you as a follower of Jesus Christ so that you might not be overcome with hopelessness or sadness by the temporary and painful difficulties of this life. But instead, even in the midst of them, thrive and remain on fire for the Lord. Huh? Rejoice in hope, beloved. Rejoice in hope. Hey, this is a discipline, my friends. Huh? You just don't wake up one morning going, oh, look at that. I'm rejoicing in hope. I guess this is what Pastor was talking about. I mean, there are moments, there are moments where I think the Spirit brings waves of joy into your life and you're overwhelmed. But the scriptures here don't say that. Wait for the Holy Spirit to bring waves of joy into your life. It says rather do this with your heart, with your mind, with your will. Choose this. Rejoice. Delight. Delight in your future. Huh? Second one. Look back at the text. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Well, this follows naturally. Be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. I I just mentioned that life is not easy, right? Our road to glory is not smooth. It's not a smooth and hazard-free road, but rather it is one that is scattered with tribulation, or as one translation puts it, affliction, affliction, or another translation says suffering. But in the midst of these things, what is the Christian to do? How are they to respond? Should they just cave in or collapse under the pressure? Should they come undone? Should they lose it? Should they give up? Should they wave the white flag? No, beloved. As they rejoice in hope, they are to be patient or persevere, or endure in tribulation, in tribulation. They are to stand firm in or bear up under the difficult and painful, but temporary, temporary for us, situations or circumstances of this life. Temporary, beloved. Think about it. For those who do not have this hope, This is the best it will get for them. It only gets worse from here. But for us who have hope, this is the worst it will ever be for us. It only gets better for us. Beloved, life to some extent is an obstacle course. Huh? So no one should be surprised when things do not go as planned. Huh? This is kind of how you see, right? As us who are older, we get it now. We know. You know, when you're young, you're like, what is going on? I don't understand why everything keeps going wrong. <laughs> and, you know, if you listen to your dumb friends who tell you it's karma, which it's not, it's life. It's not karma. It's life. And you say, hey, this is this world. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. I'm fallen. I'm broken. Redeemed. I, uh, I uh, associate with fallen and broken people, some not redeemed, many not. It's a messed up life. But the believer is to remain steadfast, firm, and unwavering in time of trouble. That's the command. That's the exhortation. Now listen, one writer says this, commenting, he says, because we have perfect assurance concerning the ultimate outcome of our lives, we are able to persist against any obstacle and endure any suffering. It is because we can rejoice in hope that we can also persevere in tribulation. That's it, beloved. Uh, You stop rejoicing in hope, good luck being patient in tribulation. Good luck. It's going to be real hard. You're going to find it impossible. Number three, I know you're blown away how fast we're going. I know. (laughs) Romans 12, 12. These are very straightforward, very straightforward. 
but very significant. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Uh, one writer says this, a uh, biblical commentator says this, uh, at this point, Paul's mention of prayer is natural since it is the Christian's great resource when he is under stress and strain. True. That is certainly true. But, but also notice that Paul's command in verse 12 is not simply to pray or pray when you're in trouble, but rather to be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Another translation puts it this way, devoted to prayer. And another good translation says, persist in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Persist in prayer. One writer says this, prayer should be as continual a part of a Christian's spiritual life as breathing is a part of his physical life. Do you think of prayer that way, beloved? If you don't, then start thinking that way, okay? Let the Word of God correct you. Let it mold you. Let it shape you. Let it change you. Let it have its way with you. Beloved, prayer should never be understood as something optional for the Christian, or as I was just saying, or pray if you want to, or pray if you, you know, need to, like crisis moments. But rather, we are commanded to be constant in prayer. In other words, it is to be our way of life. Ups, downs, praying constantly. God's people are to be a praying people, right? We talk about God's people should be loving and forgiving, and those things are true as well. God's people also are to be characterized by or should be as a praying people. One writer commenting on this says, most Christians, and probably all of us would say this as well, would confess the difficulty of maintaining a regular and effective prayer life. A regular and effective prayer life. They, they say, it's, Jeremy, I find it many times difficult. And if you're not that way, God bless you. Stay at it. Stay at it, right? Stay at it. Keep that up. You're winning there. That's the, the work of God's Spirit. And in your life and his grace upon your life, fantastic. But a large majority of Christians struggle here in this area, okay? But then the writer goes on to say the reason is not difficult to discern. The reason for the struggle, he says this, if Satan can keep us out of touch with God, he will not have to worry about any trouble we might cause for his evil kingdom. Hmm? I'm reading this book. It's called Wisdom and Leadership by Craig Hamilton. Wisdom and Leadership. Big, fat, thick, 500-something page book. I love books like that. And in chapter 4, right out of the gate, he's talking about some of the foundational things of, of, for Christianity and including leadership. He calls that chapter, Prayer is Mandatory. Prayer is Mandatory. And I thought I would just take an excerpt from that chapter and share it with you. Here's what he said. There are some battles that you cannot win on your feet. The only way to win them is on your knees. In the end, it's God who makes things grow. It's God who brings the rain, which is why prayer is mandatory. Of all the things you do, of all the things you do, prayer is the most important. Unfortunately, even though I know and have experienced the power of prayer over and over again, prayer is often the first thing I give up and the last thing I try. You may be in a similar situation. This is a big problem because it should be the reverse. It should be the first thing I try and the last thing I give up. And I would say you give it up when you die. The local church exists to accomplish things that aren't possible. Think about this now. He goes on to apply this. The church exists, us, beloved, to see people transferred from the kingdom of darkness, have their eyes opened, and into the kingdom of light, and then to see them transformed in the likeness of the Son of God or into the likeness of the Son of God, all of which is impossible. But with God, all things are possible which is why we need to pray. Unless God is in it, 
nothing we do will be of any internal significance. Then he goes on to say, James tells us that we do not have because we do not ask, James 4.2. And then he quotes Psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Psalm 127.1. And then reflecting on it, he says, I don't want to build or guard in vain. Huh, beloved? Do you want to build or guard in vain? And I don't want to not have some brilliant solution to a problem I'm facing or an opportunity that only my heavenly father could provide just because I was too lazy, stubborn, or self-reliant to ask. You did hear it. You heard it quite well. She needed to hear it again, I guess. I got to preach to Google, too, or something. Beloved, prayer needs to be a priority for us every day and throughout the day. Huh? Right? And I'm preaching to me too. I struggle. With, I can't, you know, it's unbelievable. I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? But I'm a man, a redeemed man, still struggling with my fallenness. So I just, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, last thing we try. Oh, yeah, everything's falling apart. It doesn't seem to be working. Guess I'll pray. Foolishness. Sheesh. So I thought we'd, we shouldn't step away from this without applying it right now. Friday, the Supreme Court justices ruled that our nation is to now, and every state in the union, is now to recognize gay marriage and to uh, accept that and adopt that into their law. It was a 5-4 vote, beloved, a 5-4 vote. One of those Supreme Court justices, if they would have ruled the other way, then I wouldn't be telling you that. That wouldn't have been the news. Our president was glad and was in favor of this. He uh, is happy now that uh, homosexuals can marry. He uh, twittered, or someone twitted for him, I don't know, but he put out a hashtag, love wins, love wins. That was very discouraging to me. Discouraging. This is the leader of the uh, most powerful nation on the face of the planet until we're not anymore. The Lord will decide those things. And uh, he calls what happened love winning. Um, Well, that's not love. That's not biblical love. That's not true love. That's a moral love. That's the world's love. Love didn't win, Satan won. So I thought it would be good for us just to take a moment because we don't even know what the aftermath is going to be. We have 14 states in the union that are still, uh, don't allow it. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It'll be interesting to see what Texas does. (laughs) They're kind of a crazy state at times, so uh, we'll see. Today I read, as I was coming here, the, uh, there's lots of uh, parades going on, gay parades. They're celebrating. I don't celebrate this. I mourn for my country. I mourn for, I mourn for my grandchildren. So here's what we do. Let's pray. Right? So right now, why don't we take a moment, quietly, to yourself, Pray for our nation. Pray for our leadership. Pray for all the decisions that are going to have to be worked through in the coming days. Pray for our people. Pray for the church, beloved. Pray for the church. Pray that the church does not begin to waver. Some already have, beloved. Pray that their spine stays strong by God. Pray that they stay bold. We were singing, God makes me bold, right? Courageous. Pray that that happens. Take that time and pray now.
Father in heaven, we, we just come before you. Lord, I know you hear us. And uh, we are trusting in you, Father, regardless of what goes on around us, regardless of how far our culture declines into moral depravity, regardless of even if our leader of our country are doing things entirely inconsistent with his profession of his Christianity. Regardless, Father, we trust you. Help us to continue to trust you, Father. Help us to continue to be bold, loving, courageous, and stand firm. Difficult days are ahead, Lord. Help us to rejoice in hope. And help us continue to speak the truth of the gospel. Because you are not done saving people. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13. Paul says in verse 13, here we contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We'll look at the first phrase there. Contribute to the needs of the saints or as the... Uh, the New International Version puts it, share with God's people who are in need. Share with God's people who are in need. Listen, Paul is simply calling us here to put into practice the love and concern for one another we are to have that Paul spoke about and we looked at in detail in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. As Christians, we are not to be completely consumed with our own needs. Ooh which happens to be a sinful tendency, I think, of us all. Huh? But we should be looking out for and be willing to help to the best of our ability as we are able, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they are in need. And this responsibility is not the responsibility of a few but of the entire church. Hello. The entire church, beloved. It doesn't say, hey, the leadership of the church should contribute to the needs of the saints. The leadership should, but so should the entire body. It's a body thing. It's body life. We're a family knit together through Christ. Now, I want to point out because I think it's important when we say things like this, especially as contribute to the needs of the saints, just some qualifying statements. I want to point out that when Paul speaks of need here, he's speaking of true need, of true need. What do you mean? Well, not an I am too lazy to work or can't keep or hold down a job or I live irresponsibly, so I need the congregation to help me out. Whoa, Okay. So just so we can see, because this does occur. This does occur within the body of Christ. So we see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's see what Paul says concerning this matter. Verses 6 to 13, Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, the Christians in Thessalonica, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil. These are pretty serious words, like this is painful, hard work is what he's trying to communicate here. With toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right. You can look this up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, and 1 Timothy 5, 18. The gospel, the Bible instructs that those who preach the gospel, those, who, those missionaries, apostles, pastors, teachers, they have a right to be supported by the people. But Paul says, even though we had that right, we did not give you, to, but to give you in, our, in ourselves an example to initiate. So they didn't exercise the right. We had it, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. We went ahead and supported ourselves. Paul especially was adamant about this because there were a lot of 
false teachers or basically people taking advantage of the situation, taking advantage of the church. He said, you know what? And beyond that, he didn't want to be accused of that. So he was a self-supporter. He supported his own ministry. He was a tent maker, and he helped support those that were with him, and they supported themselves, and he went around preaching and so on and so forth. Then verse 10, for even when we were with you, we, we would give you this command. Listen, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's scriptural. That's not evil, beloved. You see? You see what I mean? That's scriptural. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So they use their, their idle time to basically meddle in people's lives. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, those who are doing it, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And so I was looking this up, the MacArthur Study Bible, he had just made this note I thought it was interesting. Basically, he's just saying to them, guys, uh, I know you're tired of supporting the lazy. Kind of idea. Maybe they're lazy and you're tired of supporting them, but don't say I'm just done with charity then. Don't, because there are people who are in need. There are, okay? So keep fighting the good fight. Keep working. Keep being charitable. Keep being loving. Keep being generous. Keep giving. Don't stop. Do not grow weary in doing good. That's the context, okay, of what Paul is saying. Additionally, beloved, you do not have a true need. Listen, if you have money to meet that need, but would rather spend it on other things that are not necessary, so you ask the church for help. Well, let me try that again. Additionally, you do not have a true need if you have money to meet that need, but would rather spend it on other things that are not necessary, so you ask the church for help. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, beloved, this happens in the church. I've seen it happen. Worse yet, if you do that, if you ask and you really don't need it, but you're asking because you had money to buy it or you had whatever you needed to get it, but you spent that money on other frivolous things, and then someone gives you that help, then you are taking that help from someone who may have truly been in need. Okay? But remember what I told you, you know, selfishness resides in that broken heart, right? That messed up heart. Self-centeredness resides there. We got to repent of those things. By the way, this loving and gracious behavior that Paul exhorts us to in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it was exhibited in the early church and it's recorded for us in the book of Acts. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There we read, and they devoted themselves the believers, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. This is early, first beginning birth of the church here. Baby church. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. By the way, this is not socialism, beloved. This is not socialism. In fact, there's a, one comment here that says this, this phrase that they, were, they had all things in common, okay? It conveys not that the early Christians lived in a commune or, or pooled and redistributed everything equally. All right, we're just going to, everyone's going to get the same amount, okay? That's what's important here. That's what's fair. That's socialism. But they held... Rather, they held their own possessions lightly. That's what Paul is, or what the Luke, actually, the writer of Acts is saying, and ready to use them at any moment for someone else as needs arose. You can even see that. They sold their own possessions. They were their possessions. They didn't immediately hand them over to someone and say, they're not ours anymore. They were selling their possessions. It was up to them. They sold them, and then they distributed as there was need. And again, real need. But do you see that care for the body of Christ? And there was a real need, especially in the early days of the church, because as people turned to Jesus Christ, they were rejected by their communities who were Jewish, okay? Rejected, so they lost their work, they lost their families, they lost their homes. There was a real need. And the church rallied together and supported one another. Hey, we might, we might get there someday to that kind of real need. We might get there. I have a spare room. I could fit at least 10 of you in there. I think <laughs> it's an older house. The rooms are smaller. <laughs> uh, one writer adds this, in the eyes of society, 
concerning this, we rightfully own certain things, beloved. We do. But before the Lord, we own nothing. We are simply stewards of what he has blessed us with. And one of our most important responsibilities as his stewards is using our personal resources to contribute to the needs of the saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you either believe that or you don't, but your life will reflect it one way or another. But you should believe it, and your life should reflect it. We're going we're gonna to set up a benevolence fund. We haven't done this once we've become incorporated. It's what our sending church does. We think it's important. Every year we, we, take, we set aside something. It's in the budget. As people have need, if they come to us, make us aware of it, and then we work through that. But uh, we actually want a separate designated fund, and, and what Foothill does and what we will do, I think we'll do the same practice, we will, is at Thanksgiving service, we just take a special offering. And then that fund builds if it's not used, but it's there. It's there for the body of Christ. It's there for the church. And when they need help, it's there. So you can even be praying about that. Pray for some big bonuses so you can pop it into that benevolence fund come Thanksgiving. See, you think different. You start to think differently because normally it's like, I want a big bonus so I can go on vacation. Nothing wrong with going on vacation. Right, baby? We love vacation. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong, beloved. So, but just start thinking differently, thinking outside of just you and your family and your issues and your needs, but the greater family that you have, the body of Christ. You know, there's way, other ways to get, that, get at this. You know, there's Derek. There's my beloved brother. Our beloved brother right here, he, couldn't, he lost his driver's license for a little bit. So the body of Christ helped him out. Did you appreciate that, Derek? Yes. So they offered their, you know, they drove him around. They used their gas. They used their time. They contributed to his need. It was a real need. It was a real need. We have a, on the table, I don't know if you know this, but on the table, our, our social networking, private social network, if you're not a part of it, you know, let me know. You can become a part of it if you're a regular tender. But there's something on there called the Serve app, and they're basically just trying to get at this contribute to the needs of saints thing. That's what they're doing. It's called the Serve app. And if you go on there, you can post, under the Share section, you can post and let people know that you have something that you need help with. Now, we use it sometimes saying we need help in ministry. But you could also say, I need help in this area or that area. But beyond that, it says, I have something to give away. You can post, I have something to give away. It's not a, it's not a Craigslist. It's not that, because that, that would be you asking for something in return, profiting from whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that either, but it's not that. But it has I something. So you say, I want to give something away to the community here, the body, local body of Christ, right? It also says, I have something the community can use, like that motorhome that you have sitting there that you never use. Let us know, because we would like to use it. Anyway, that's a way to contribute. That's a platform. It's a technological advanced way, cool way to be able to contribute to the needs of saints. It's one way to get at it. Contribute to the needs of the saints, beloved. That's the rule. That's the command. There's lots of ways to do that. But are you even thinking about that, you know? Are you looking to do that? Finally, verse 13, the last one. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek, verse 13, and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. The Greek word translated hospitality literally means love of strangers. Two Greek words put together, love of strangers, or care of strangers, affection for strangers. Now, remember when I say love, this is not like, you know, like, like if I were to say love of animals, like that person has a love of animals. It's not like that. That would be weird. Like he has a love of animals like he has a love of strangers. No, no, it's not. It's love. It's showing care for a stranger, okay? It's action. It'd be weird if you just had like love of strangers. Like people would walk by like, oh, I'm so in love with that stranger. That's not what we're talking about, all right? That's all. I'm just pointing out because we use that word love in that way all the time, but that's just not the way the Bible uses it. So in the early church, this love or care included temporarily opening one's home to and caring for visitors or travelers or itinerant, itinerant Christian preachers and teachers. Itinerant, they're kind of moving from one location to the next, giving the gospel message. 
declaring the hope of Jesus Christ. Um, another translation of the Bible says this, uh, instead of seek to show hospitality, it's a, more of an interpretation here. Welcome others into your home. It says it that way. Welcome others into your home. Uh, that's one way to get at it. But like the other command in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, this too is other-focused. It's other-focused or about being a blessing to others. That's the emphasis. And it will require us to repent of our selfishness and self-centeredness. Huh? You know, so when you come across this stuff, you're going to, you don't come across it, oh, that's easy. That's easy. I'll just pick that up right away. Uh, It's not easy because of our sinful tendencies. And so, but it's not impossible. Uh Uh-huh. Don't tell me it's impossible. It's not. Not if you're born again. Not if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. It is not impossible. It's doable. And you should be motivated by that very Spirit to do it. And you will find the power to do it through Him. So we'll repent of our selfishness and self-centeredness, and we are going to have to walk in that newness of life. We're going to have to walk in love. We're going to have to be unselfish and self-giving and be willing to make sacrifices for the sake and benefit of someone else. Okay? That's what these commands require. One writer just commenting on the whole nature of hospitality in the first century church says this, the need to give shelter and food to visitors was great in the New Testament world in which this passage was written, there being few hotels and motels. Okay? Just a practical thing. And the need among Christians was exacerbated or intensified by the many traveling missionaries and other Christian workers. Hence, the New Testament frequently urges Christians to offer hospitality to others. Another writer commenting on this says, because inns in New Testament times were scarce, they didn't, there weren't a lot, they didn't have Motel 6s and Hiltons on every corner, they were expensive if you did find them, very expensive, And they were often dangerous places or immoral places. Because of that, Christian families commonly opened their homes to believers who passed through their towns. He goes on to say, unlike Paul, who insisted on paying for most of his own expenses, most itinerant preachers and teachers relied entirely, entirely on the support of fellow Christians. They couldn't have done what they did without the hospitality of the church. And by that, I mean not a building, but the people. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Now, beloved, listen, we're almost done. But showing hospitality is not limited. It's not limited to us waiting for a traveling missionary or a Christian worker or a missionary on furlough to come through the church so we can put them up in our home and care for them for a short time. It's not limited to that. It includes that. It includes that. But it's not limited to that. Listen, showing hospitality could also, among other things, include opening your home to a new face at Summit or someone here you don't know by inviting them over to share a meal with you or your family and extending love and encouragement to them in that process. It got really quiet. You? Okay, that is, that's the one I want to emphasize. I'm going to talk about a few more, but that's the one I want to emphasize. That is a way to show hospitality. Beloved, is there anyone in this room who you don't know very well? Ooh. Yeah, you know everyone very well. No, is there? Probably maybe sitting right next to you or right behind you. Any brother and sister in Christ, show hospitality. Invite them into your home. Share a meal with them. Love on them. Encourage them. Okay? It could, uh, could also include uh, our growth groups, our host homes. Our host homes are those, those who host our Bible studies. They're showing hospitality. They're demonstrating hospitality. They're allowing all these folks, many of them strangers, to come into their home and to use their place for the purposes of ministry. Right? It may even include opening your home for a time to someone in this congregation in need of some temporary housing. And I said temporary, (laughs) just to kind of help you out. (laughs) So if you go back and listen to the message, he said temporary. (laughs) 
I mean, whatever that means. That could be a year. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying. And right, so we could give a lot of reasons why we can't do this and, or why this would be hard. Yeah, it is hard. Yep, it's hard. Okay. It doesn't say, you know, seek to show hospitality if it's easy. <laughs> it doesn't say that. Uh, let me also add this, that Paul doesn't just say show hospitality in verse 13, but rather he says, look at the text. Look, it says, seek, seek to show it. Always good to pay attention to particular words in the scriptures, especially the one like this. It doesn't just say show it. It says seek to show it. Another Bible translation, the NET says pursue it. Pursue it. Guys, do you understand the word pursue? Like when you were pursuing that lady? The intensity. The passion. Huh? What? Nothing? In my case, it was the other way around. She pursued me. So, baby, you know what I'm talking about? You know the intensity and the passion? Baby, that's, that's what you've got to have right here with hospitality. It's the same idea. You're all going to get invited over to our house this afternoon. <laughs> Um, anyway, one writer says this concerning that Paul says that rather than being, being ready or willing, if called upon, we should be looking for those we can love in this way. It really is just another manifestation of our love for one another. Huh? But let me add one more thing. The apostle Peter says this concerning hospitality. First Peter four, nine. Show hospitality to one another. What is it? Without grumbling. Oh, without grumbling. <laughs> you know, whenever you have an exhortation like that, what that means is there's a good opportunity for some, right? He wouldn't tell you not to do it if it never happened. <laughs> he knows it's a concern. And uh, I... There's a, a book that a man wrote on hospitality, um, and I'm just pulling this excerpt from it, and I thought it was good, so I wanted to share it with you. He says this, Certainly the ministry of hospitality and, and, and corresponding inconveniences of hospitality can easily rattle our grumbling bones. I like that, our grumbling bones. Hospitality demands old-fashioned work. It may be costly and is often inconvenient. It is time-consuming. It places strain on the family. Sometimes guests abuse their Christian brothers and sisters' hospitality. <gasps> yeah, they do. Hospitality, therefore, is a concrete, down-to-earth test of our fervent love for God and his people. Love can be an abstract, indistinct idea. Hospitality is specific and tangible. Hospitality is love in action. Hospitality is the flesh and muscle on the bones of love. I like that. Through caring acts of hospitality, the reality of our love is tested. Seek to show hospitality, beloved. Let's review, and then we'll pray. Just, we're just going to read through them. Here's so far what we've covered in our Christian code of conduct. Number one, and you're going to read them with me if you would. I'm asking you to, please. Let love be genuine. Two, abhor what is evil. Three, hold fast to what is good. Four, love one another with brotherly affection. Five, outdo one another, showing honor. Six, do not be slothful in zeal. Seven. Be fervent in spirit. Eight, serve the Lord. Nine, rejoice in hope. Ten, be patient in tribulation. Eleven, be constant in prayer. Twelve, contribute to the needs of the saints. Thirteen, seek to show hospitality. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, I counted a privilege Counted a privilege to, to be with these people. Counted a privilege to, to be a part of the body of Christ. Thank you for all these folks you've gathered together. And, and Lord, thank you for the opportunity we had today to just, as we do every Sunday, to come around your word. 
It's encouraging. It's, it's instructing. It's uplifting. It's corrective. It molds us and shapes us into the, the people you desire us to be, into the image of our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for today, and I thank you for the, the many Sundays I trust and pray we will have together. Lord, we do pray. Help us to be a people that model Jesus Christ. Help us to be a people that truly live according to your word. We know we won't do it perfectly, Father. You know that. We know that. We fail. But Lord, we get back up. We ask for forgiveness. And we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we look to you. We look to the spirit that dwells in us. And by faith, we believe that we can walk in newness of life. Lord, help us to do that. Father, may we continue to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And may we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a very dark world that's growing darker by the hour. May we let our light shine. Not only by our words, most importantly, yes, the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel, but Lord, may, may our lives not be inconsistent with that message. May our lives reinforce that message. That Jesus Christ did indeed come into the world to save sinners and to transform them, to change them, to free them from the power of sin that they might, that we might live for you, God. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.